All right, let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We're going through it verse by verse. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, again, was written, of course, by Solomon towards the last two years of his life and the last two years of his 40-year reign. He was a good king for about 22 years, and then he just fell horribly. Went off into the world, got involved in all kinds of stuff. For 15 years, he was away from God, what we might call in the Old Testament a backslider. In the New Testament, the word is carnal. He became carnal. Every one of us who's saved is either living in one of two realms at all times. We're either in the realm of the flesh or we're in the realm of the spirit. And uh, if you're in the realm of the flesh, it doesn't mean you're not saved. It's just not where God wants you. He wants us to live in the spirit and not in the flesh. I would say Solomon was a man who got into the flesh horribly. His big downfall, of course, was women. That was his uh, weakness. And they led him away from God into serving other gods. But uh, he, got, uh, he came back to his senses in the last couple of years of his life, came back and wrote a book about it. All the things he tried that left him empty while he was away from God. And a lot of Ecclesiastes is about that. So. And then a lot of it is just other wisdom mixed in. So let's get at it and I'll try to do the best I can. I can't, I'm not trying to pretend at all that I know what all this means. It's a tough book. But let's get at chapter 8, verse 1. Who is as the wise man? And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. All right. Who is as the wise man? Who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? In other words, who has learned enough wisdom that he's able to give good answers? And that's where we should be. Uh, Solomon wrote earlier in Proverbs, a righteous man studieth to answer. Uh, and so this is a good verse, verse 1. It says the product of becoming a wise man, the product of becoming a man who knows how to give answers is that your face shines. Um, and uh, the boldness of his face has changed. Uh, God can change the countenance of a person who knows truth and who knows what he's talking about or what she's talking about. We, uh, we, wanna, we want this. The peace of knowing what to do in life and the peace of knowing many of life's answers will alter your disposition. Um, you've probably seen people with a disposition on their faith, the face of anxiety or worry or depression or fear, not knowing what they're going to face. As a person becomes wiser, as a person gets answered, uh, answers and knows how to answer, that disposition begins to change and that, that person you see is no longer, doesn't have fear written all over their face or anxiety or, or trouble. Uh, but rather their face begins to shine because they know what to do. They know the answers. And uh, God is in the face-changing business. Uh, many examples in the Bible tell us about how God made someone's face to shine. Exodus 34:30 says, And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. Now, I know in some cases this was literal, but, but you know what I mean by somebody's face shining? 
Uh, did you ever see somebody's maybe face on their wedding day? There's just something about their disposition that just shines. Or I hate to, <laughs> hate to use this example, but someone just won the lottery. You know, the day before maybe they had this disposition of trouble and fear, and then all of a sudden, yeah, you know, you see these pictures of the casinos. There's false advertising on these billboards, and everybody's face is shining. Yeah, like that's the way it is. But that's the idea here. God, a man's wisdom maketh his face to shine. He's, he's not troubled. He's not puzzled. He's not walking around going, huh? You know, and uh, he, he knows what he's doing. He, he, his face shines. Matthew 17, 2 says, Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Later on, talks about an angel in Matthew 28, verse 3, as they looked into the empty tomb where Jesus was. It says his countenance was like lightning. Uh, his countenance, that is his face, was like lightning. Um, Stephen as he was preaching, it says in Acts 6.15, And all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Luke 9.29 says, And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. Notice the fashion of his countenance. As Jesus prayed, his countenance was altered. They'll alter your countenance, become a man of prayer. Uh, become a woman of prayer. That'll wipe the worry right off your face. And uh, so the face tells a story, folks. And you and I ought to pursue wisdom. We ought to pursue answers. Because a man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. Verse 2. Uh, by the way, it says the boldness of his face. Make a note there. The word boldness means confidence. Don't ever think that boldness refers to you know, arrogance or belligerence. It, do, it just means confidence. He'll be more confident in his face. Now, verses 2, 3, 4, some of these verses down through here, uh, again, are hard to apply to our life because they're about living underneath a king, which we don't do. Uh, we live in a representative republic of America. We have a president, a vice president, and a executive branch of government. We've got 435 uh, representatives in the House and 100 senators in the legislative and nine uh, justices in the Supreme Court and these checks and balances. And so nobody ever becomes too powerful in America because of the checks and balance system we have. So sometimes as you go through these verses, it's hard to understand, but you've got to kind of put yourself back in time there of what it was like to be under a king where his word ruled. No checks and balances. Verse 2, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment and that in regard of the oath of God. In other words, just obey the government. Obey the law of the land. Uh, that is part of our oath as citizens to honor the institution of government, whether it's good or bad. No matter who the president might be, let's apply it to America. No matter who the president might be, good or bad, no matter who is appointed to the Supreme Court, good or bad, it's it's our oath as, as Christian citizens to be in obedience uh, and respect our government, you know, unless, of course, they try to teach us to disobey God. 
Verse 3, Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing. For he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Again, talking about the king, he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Thank God. Uh, tonight, as Americans, we don't live under such a government. But a lot of people did. Israel did. Um, he do, does whatsoever he pleases. I mean, you can read stories in the Bible where the king said, go cut that guy's head off, and out goes the hit man, cuts his head off. That's the end of it. No, you know, no jury, no judge, no trial. Uh, so he says, I counsel thee to keep the commandment of God, and be not hasty to go out of his sight. Don't leave the side of the king. Be faithful, be loyal uh, to the leader. Stand not in an evil thing. Uh, in other words, don't leave the king, don't leave the government and join some rebellious cause that uh, happens to come up. Don't be in a hurry to leave the presence of your ruler. Don't stand for a wrong cause. Don't get involved in a wrong cause. I like the one man who said, he says, I fear Success, he said, I fear succeeding in a cause that is not important. Amen. That ought to be all of our fears. Uh, we ought to fear succeeding in a cause that is not important. Don't stand for a wrong cause. Don't leave uh, your loyalty to stand in an evil thing. If, if a bunch of rebels happen to rise up, just don't be any part of them. Now, that, that happens everywhere. There's, there's always rebels in every country, every church. Uh, there's always somebody who's going to try to mix up things and stir up things and, and uh, say bad things. Now, don't get involved with those kind of people. Um, as for an application of verse number three, you know, don't be in a hurry to leave the presence of your ruler, uh, those of you that are children or youth, don't be in a hurry to run out of the house. Um, I think too many young people leave home too early nowadays, and they leave unequipped to face life away from home emotionally, socially, financially. Uh, they think there's some freedom out there uh, that they're missing at home. And uh, they find out that it's not true. Home's not so bad after all. Uh, don't be hasty. Uh, it says in verse 3 to get out from underneath authority and get with a bunch of rebels. Verse 4, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? There was no questioning his word. Uh, again, thank God we don't live under that kind of a regime, uh, Saddam Hussein uh, was that way in Iraq. Uh, they're bringing him up to court now on trial for the first massacre. I think about 172 people. This is the first. There's going to be so many court battles on this guy, but because he probably is responsible for putting about a million people to death. But his lawyer's defense was revealed the other day. And you know what it was when he was king of Iraq, he, he put in the Constitution that he can't be brought up on charges for any crimes he commits. Wow. 
Now, of course, I hope they're under a different constitution right now. But uh, isn't that something? Protect yourself and go out and slaughter a bunch of people. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? I mean, this stuff's going on on earth right now. We ought to thank the Lord for America. Let me just make a spiritual asp, uh, application of verse 4 on the, on a good, in a good sense. Uh, Jesus is a king. Amen? Jesus is the king of kings. And it says, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who can say unto him, what doest thou? And so give out the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is power. Verse 5, whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. What a great promise the first half of this is for the obedient. Some people look at the obedient as a dead lifestyle. They say, oh, God just gave us a bunch of rules and regulations and, and uh, you know, we're never going to have any fun, we're never going to have any joy. I've got to get out from underneath these rules of God, and I've got to get out of these rules from these rules of my mother and father and so on and so forth. Well, that person's been sold a bag of goods, I think, by the devil. The opposite is true. It says, Whoso keepeth the commandments shall feel no evil thing. The blessed life is in obedience to the Lord, in obedience to those that are in authority over us. It's not a dead lifestyle. I mean, how many of you tonight, if I polled you all, would like to say, would like to live a life where you shall feel no evil thing? Boy, count me in. Because whoso keepeth the commandments shall feel no evil thing. Now, that doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen to you, but what it means is, as Romans 8:28 says, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. So even, even troubles and trials and tribulations produce good in us, but for the sinner, not so. Just a lot of uh, hardship. What a great promise this is. Right down on your notes there, right next to uh, verse number 5, Psalm 19 and verse 11. It says, Moreover, by them thy servant is warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. What a promise. In keeping God's commandments is great reward. Again, if I ask you tonight, how many of you would like great reward? Uh, some people think, well, yeah, I can have great reward by getting away from God. No, the Bible says get closer to God and keep his word. In keeping of them, there is great reward. It is a rewarding life to obey the Lord. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment, verse 5. A wise man's heart discerneth both time, that's the right time, and judgment, that's the proper procedure to take in life's affairs. We're going to contrast a wise man's heart to kind of a foolish man's heart in verses 6 and 7 here. It says, A wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. He knows the right time, he knows a time is coming. And so he then uses the proper procedure to take in life's affairs. This is a good way to live, men and, and ladies, especially you that are parents. I'll try to illustrate in a minute. But write down Psalm 112 and verse 5. It says, A good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. He will guide his affairs with discretion. 
See, we can't just let things happen, especially as parents and as pastors and so on. You can't just let things happen. You've got you to gotta perceive, according to verse 5, that a certain time is coming, and you've got to formulate the word judgment here means a proper procedure to take in life's affairs. I mean, you've got you to perceive, if your children are little, you've got to perceive they're going to be teens one of these days. And I better start teaching them some things while they're little about the teen years because that time's coming, it's not going to slow down for me. And verse 5 says, A wise man's heart discerneth both time, he knows, he knows what's coming ahead of him, and judgment. He, he uses the proper procedures to take in life's affair, or as we just read in the Psalms, he guides his affairs with discretion. So you've got to be ahead of your children is what I'm saying. I mean, if they're, if they're little like this, you got little girls and little boys, start telling them then, look, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to have you dating. By that I mean you're not going to be in cars alone with the opposite sex, just out on your own doing what you want. Um, and, uh, you know, little girls and boys like that, they're not going to care. But when they get the teens, they're going to remember, oh, yeah, Dad laid down the law already. Here's the procedure we're going to take at this time in our life. You know, or you're not going to, you know, you're not going to uh, drive when you're 16. You're going to wait till whatever you determine, 18 or 19 or something like that. You're going to drive for a year on a permit and so on. And, and, and there's, there's things you've got to do to get them ready for life, to get them ready for marriage, to get them ready for financial responsibility. You've got to talk to them about credit cards and so on and so forth a long time before they start getting the credit card or, uh, offers in the mail. Uh, he realizes that time and judgment, the proper procedure to take in life's affairs, he's got that all worked out in his heart, verse 5 says. So he says, you know, this is coming, so I better start preparing right now. And, and kids, honey, here's the proper procedures we're going to take as we face these years coming up. Now, I think verses 6 and 7 talks about the other guy. Uh, it says, but to every purpose there is time and judgment. Same thing, time and judgment, verse 6, time and judgment, verse 5. To every purpose there is time and judgment. In other words, every purpose, you're, you're going to face it, like it or not, it's coming, it's time is coming. Every purpose, it's time is coming. And there's proper procedures that you need to take when that time comes. Therefore, the misery of man is great upon him. Uh, he dreads what must come upon him. You know, I didn't dread the teen years with my children at home. I really didn't. In fact, I flat out enjoyed them. Because we had some proper procedures my wife and I laid out of, of things, you know, we were going to do. But some, some people, those years come and it's just misery. Uh, or financial matters come up, the misery of man is great upon him. The man who has not prepared himself, who has not placed proper procedures in their place of what he's going to do as he faces the future, the misery of man is great upon him. Verse 7, For he knoweth not 
that which shall be. For who can tell him when it shall be? He's on, he's, he's, verse 7, he's just totally unprepared. He is completely unprepared for what he's going to face, and he becomes reactionary, or usually he just looks around at the world and says, well, what does everybody else do? Some guidance that is. Blow it just like everybody else. Um, so I want to encourage you to be a wise man, to have a wise man's heart, verse 5, and not face the misery of the guy that doesn't know what shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be, verse 7. There is no man, verse 8, that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death, and there is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Here is a verse about death. Thanatology is the fancy word that we use to describe the doctrine of death, and this is one of the great verses, I think, in the Bible about thanatology. basically says when your time comes, there's not a thing you can do to change it. There's not a thing you can do. There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. I remember one guy years back, about 15 years back, got himself a, uh, a some kind of a vacuum or something that he slept in every night that had pure oxygen. You know, he had this idea he was going to live forever. Uh, he was going to sleep in there and have the pure oxygen that he sleeps under every night. But, you know, the guy's still alive, but he's, uh, he's fading fast. Uh, every time I see him uh, in the news, um, his day's coming. The spirit of man belongs to God. And when God calls for it, you better be ready. There is no man, there's not one of us that can retain the spirit when the day of death comes. And there is a day of death. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die but after this the judgment. Not only the spirit, but the soul. Psalm 22, 29 says, And none can keep alive his own soul. There's not, there's not a person. Man has not figured out with all of the knowledge he has, all the computers, all the sciences that he has mastered, he has not been able to figure out how a human being can retain their spirit and their soul when the day of death comes. And he's never going to because that is in the realm of God. That's in God's realm. We just need to get ready for it. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. There's, there's some people who, who, who think wickedness will deliver them from death, they're, that they're invincible, that they're able to, uh, you know, maybe buy their way out of death or something. That didn't work. A lot of people have tried it. Millionaires have tried it. Billionaires have tried it. They've had the best medical help that uh, money uh, could buy, and it did not deliver them. Uh, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Verse 9, All this have I seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. So again, Solomon is sharing with us some wisdom that he got from observing the things of this world. And there's a good principle. It's very important in verse 9 that you understand the word ruleth here means to dominate. 
might want to write that down. There is a time when one man dominates or ruleth over another to his own hurt. This means that he lords it over a man or somebody else and he ends up hurting himself. Uh, let me give you an example. A man could try to dominate his wife. His wife gets fed up with it and leaves him. And who does he hurt ultimately? He hurts himself. A man could try to dominate his children. The scripture says, He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. And so he tries to dominate, lord over his own children. A man or a woman, you sometimes you see doting mothers uh, do this. They try to dominate their children. But then their children do grow up and leave and never come back, and the man lives the rest of his life in loneliness. Who has he hurt? He's hurt himself. Sometimes pastors try to dominate congregations. I've seen this happen before. And guess what happens when a pastor dominates a congregation? People leave. Who does he hurt? He hurts himself. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 24, he says, Not as though we have dominion over your faith, but we are helpers of your joy. You see, instead of being dominators, we are helpers. A husband ought to look at his wife and say, How can I help her? And vice versa. Parents ought to look at their children and say, how can I help them? Now, that does require discipline and things so on and so forth sometimes. How can I help my children? A pastor ought to look at the people and say, how can I help the people? And you know, oftentimes when you really help someone, you develop a bond between them. They end up loving you for it. You know, kids grow up and say, wow, mom and dad really helped me while I was growing up. They really in love helped me. And those children don't abandon their parents. When they get older, they end up, as they get older, appreciating them more and more and more as life goes on. A wife can say, wow, my husband has really helped me. Or a husband can say, wow, my wife has really been by my, by my side. She has been such a help to me. And he ends up appreciating her more. She ends up appreciating him more. Uh, a pastor, maybe should appreciate people more and tell them that. And, and uh, people should say, hey, the pastors helped me. And the pastors say, you know, these people have helped me. And there ought to be a, a, a bond that's formed by helping each other that's broken by dominating. Boy, I hope you're not a dominating, controlling person. It's going to backfire on you. That's what this verse is saying right here. It's, if you try to dominate somebody in any one of life's realms, it's going to... It's going to backfire on you. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. And that word ruleth means to dominate. Don't, don't try to dominate. Just try to help people. Verse 10, And so I saw the wicked buried, which had come and gone from the, holy, the place of the holy. And they were forgotten in the city where... They had so done. This is also vanity. Here's another emptiness. That's what the word vanity means. He says, let me tell you something else that's empty about life. I noticed this, Solomon said. I saw the wicked buried, now notice this, who had come and gone from the place of the holy. 
Now, what are you thinking about right now? I don't know about you, I'm thinking about religion. There's wicked people all over the place that go to church. They're all over the place. I mean, churches are full of them. Houses of worship, they call them, even synagogues, mosques, and so on and so forth. I saw the wicked buried. This guy gets buried. He's dead. He's buried. Who had come and gone from the place of the holy. I mean, he made his appearance there. He is what I call a religious hypocrite. He's showing up at the church for social reasons, for appearance. And what is the legacy of his life? Verse 10, he's forgotten. He's forgotten. Not only is he forgotten in death, but he's, he's detrimental in life. I mean, hypocrites hurt all of us. Hypocrites hurt all of us. Any, any one of us who's trying to be sincere knows what it's like to go out and witness to somebody and meet somebody who has a wall up that you can't talk to because some church full of hypocrites turned him off or some clergyman who was a hypocrite turned Hip, Hypocrisy hurts. The Bible says beware of hypocrisy. Jesus said don't be lukewarm. Be hot or be cold, but please. He said don't be lukewarm. Don't be a hypocrite. Verses 11 through 13 go together. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him, but it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Now in Sunday school we're studying Hamar theology this year and or this month in doctrine, the doctrine of sin. And boy, here's a great text on how sin works, doesn't it? There is a loving, long-suffering, patient God who doesn't always execute judgment speedily, verse 11, and I think we can all tonight probably thank God he doesn't. But as the Bible is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, and it is, it shows us how some people think. Some people think, wow, I've gotten away with this thing 81 times, 82 times, 83 times, 90 times, 93 times, 100 times. There's no judgment. And as a result, their heart becomes, verse 11, set in them to do evil. Nothing's ever happened to me for this before. So this is their thinking. Because sentence isn't executed speedily because there is a long-suffering God in heaven, the Bible says, who gives us space to repent. He gives mankind space to repent. And I'm glad he did, or probably most of us, including myself, here tonight wouldn't exist tonight. So this sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged and he's thinking, I'm all set. There, there must not be a God or if there is a God, there's certainly no reason to fear him. He's never done anything to me for this. But there is a reason to fear him. Yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. Earlier in Proverbs, Solomon said, fear the Lord and depart from evil. That's wisdom. Wisdom is to fear the Lord and depart from evil. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days. What's verse 13 saying? He's going to get his eventually. He's going to get his eventually. He's not going to prolong his days. His days are as a shadow. Life's very brief. 
the vapor that appears for a little while then disappears. But he's going to get his someday. His days won't be prolonged because he feareth not before God. So let's, let's be careful ourselves. I know most of us here tonight are probably saved. And this is really talking about the unsaved here. But even as saved people, it's possible to flirt with sin and temptation, get real close to the cliff. Well, I'm okay. Boy, I've done this so many times. God's never chasing me. Well, let's just fear him rather and, and avoid temptation and, and avoid possible chastisement. Verse 14, there is a vanity. Here's another emptiness. Here's another perplexity that Solomon has no answer for. Verse 14, and I don't either, but I'll just read it. There is a vanity which is done under the earth, that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said this, that this also is vanity. So this, Solomon's just saying, here's something that puzzles me. You've got these good people, and it happens to them as if they were wicked. Everything goes wrong for them. And you've got these wicked people, and the things that happen to them in life is, is though they were righteous. But I want to caution you tonight this one thing about verse 14 uh, before we uh, go on. Uh, this life is not all there is. This life is not all there is. And you are going to be one frustrated puppy if you go through life thinking it's supposed to be fair. Jesus did promise about the future in Luke 3 and verse 5. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. I mean, there's coming a day when justice will take place on this earth, but it's not before Jesus comes. There are a lot of things that are going to perplex you and puzzle you, and especially what if you've got your eyes fastened on man, you're not going to be able to figure it out. Verse 14, it's going to look like one unjust world you're living in. I think that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 4, verse 8, we are perplexed. I mean, Paul knew a whole lot more than I do, but he was perplexed about some things. Justice will be done in the next life. Please, don't, don't expect this life to be fair. Don't expect to figure out this life. Rather, live by faith, which means trust in the Lord. Don't disappoint yourself thinking life is supposed to be fair or is going to be fair someday. Just get that expectation out of your heart and just trust in the Lord, whatever happens. If your wicked neighbors prosper and they're blessed and everything goes wrong with you, just say, well, the next life's the long one. This is the short one. The Lord's going to make everything right. So Solomon gives up. He throws in the towel, and we have the words of a quitter here now in verse 15, and he's, he's quitting and he's trying to get God on it, in on it. That's, that's kind of what man does sometimes. Uh, he, he decides to live his own, I'm going to live my own life and get God's stamp of approval on it. So in verse 15, he said, Then I commended mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. 
For that shall abide with him of all his labor the days of his life which God giveth him under the sun. So he, he sticks God in there to try to justify his lifestyle. Eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, what's the sense? There's no justice in this life anyways. So let's just party. That's what the word mirth means, to party. Verse 16, when I applied mine heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done under the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night seeth sleep with his eyes, then I beheld all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it, yea, further. Though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. What a way to end. Solomon says, go ahead and stay up all night if you want and try, and find out, try to think through and find out what God's doing. You're not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to. So you might as well just leave things in God's hands. You're not going to be able to search out the unsearchable. And there's going to be things that are going to puzzle you and perplex you the rest of your life. And if you don't have any now, God's going to make sure he puts some in your life. Why? Because that's what faith's all about. Faith is trusting when nothing makes sense. And just going forward with God. No one can comprehend all that is going on on the earth. Verse 16 and 17 says, no matter how wise that man is, no matter how much he thinks about it, no matter how much he contemplates it, even if he loses all of his sleep, I beheld all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Romans 11 and uh, verse 33, and I'm almost done. I've got two more verses here. It says this, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now, when I was about 20, I knew everything. I really did. I had it all figured out. I knew exactly what God was going to do and how he was going to do it. And any question you had, I had the answer, and this is it. It's all black and white. Just ask me. I don't think I even need to study the Bible anymore. I, I know it all. But now that I'm 48, I'm beginning to wonder if I know anything. You know, I've had to reconsider a whole lot of things that I once thought were just absolute. And... I had to rethink some things and, and, and change and scratch my head and, you know, just say, what? But I think that's helped me to live more by faith. But don't despair. I'll give you one last verse. It says this, Deuteronomy 29, 29, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us, and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There are secret things, they belong to God. There are revealed things, they belong to us and to our children. I'll close with this illustration. 
The unsaved abide in darkness. We see through a glass darkly. 1 Corinthians 13. But thank God at least we see. We don't see everything crystal clear, but we see through a glass darkly. We're not abiding in darkness. We see life through a tinted window. And we can make out some things as we look through the tinted window of God's Word. And those are the things that are revealed to us and to our children that we may do the work of the law of God. In other words, God has revealed enough to us that we can know that it is fact that it will keep us busy for a lifetime, a lifetime. And so just take what you know is revealed. If God says, go out and share the gospel with people, don't say, why? Or for what? Or I don't understand how this is going to work. Just whatever is revealed, just do it. You know, but don't, I said this a couple of weeks ago in the study, don't get bogged down by a question you can't get answered. Every human being, if the chapter we just read is true, every human being has questions that they cannot get answered. They don't know what sense something they went through in life has to do with their life. They may never know. You know, you're just as perplexed as the next person about some things. And so am I. But what we've got to do is take the things that are revealed and walk in them. Take the questions that get in our way and walk around them. And go through life seeing through a glass darkly, at least seeing something. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. and Thank you for Solomon and the ups and downs he went through and the frustrations that he put into words so that we can relate to it tonight. I, Lord, I pray tonight for the deliverance of some here that are puzzled and perplexed about some things, or maybe their, their spiritual advancement has come to a dead stop by something they don't understand. Lord, we just read that there's no man on earth who can figure out everything you're doing, so help us just accept that by faith and, and just believe that none of us can know everything God's doing but you have revealed enough for us to work for Thee, and our labor won't be in vain. Now, Lord, help us to apply the Word and to go forward in what light You've given us. And we pray now for the direction of Your Spirit in things, uh, business things of the church, and also our prayer time. In Jesus' name, amen.